This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Patterson Program, where you'll learn how to improve your health from the inside out. And now, your host, Clint Patterson. Today, you're going to hear from another great guest who has done the Patterson program approximately now for three and a half months, and she has a fabulous story to tell. She's got experience uh, with methotrexate and sulfasalazine and Anbril and the ups and downs and complications of these medications, and now has a a pain-free, drug-free situation that we're looking forward to hearing about. So, Johanna, thank you very much for sharing with us today. Hello. On and off for about four years, I've been experiencing weird, terrible swellings and a tremendous amount of pain. In November of 2017, I hit my all-time low. Uh, I had no energy. I could sleep and sleep and sleep. Um, I had been on a variety of medications up until that point. Uh, Then I was introduced to Enbrel, and it did some pain reduction, but I was so tired. It wasn't a quality of life anymore. I went on Facebook and joined a support group, and it was just one sad story after another, how people failed Enbrel, Cosentix, Symponi, Humira. And I looked at uh, my future, and I thought, I'm going to go in this horrifying, endless circle. Uh, And I have nothing but a wheelchair to look forward to. And my world got really dark and depressing. And um, then I got sick with bronchitis because of all the immune suppressants. And I had some time at home to search the web and I found your program and I started the program and it was within a couple of weeks, I started to feel less pain and then it just got better and better. I stayed on the medication, so I was still very tired. And then at some point I just decided, you know what, this is great. I also um, have been doing hot yoga but the energy was there, so I stopped the medication, and here I am, and life is back. I am amazed. I, tears of joy. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. So give us some examples of the before and after. Like, how would you wake up before compared to how you're waking up these days? Well, I wouldn't really wake up. The alarm would wake me up, and I would drag myself out of bed, and I'd limp around, uh, I had no enthusiasm for work for I had no enthusiasm for anything, and it was really just an existence. Uh, it was miserable. Mm. It, and I would ask my rheumatologist, "Is there anything you can give me vitamin b twelve injections? Uh, is Is there something else that I can take?" And he said, no, this this is it." And physiotherapists alike and such, they all said, "Oh, yeah, we have patients on Enbrel. They're usually really, really tired. So mm. You know, waking up was was just awful. And now I wake up on my own without the alarm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What can I say? I'm thrilled. You know, it's uh, it's one of these situations where you've gone down the medication angle and you've explored three of the very common drugs, which is the methotrexate, a biologic option, um, which is, by the way, just seemingly becoming more and more frequently prescribed to people with rheumatoid or sciatic uh, earlier, it seems that, um, you know, I'm hearing more and more from clients and members of our support group, as you're, uh, you know, a member of and you, you know, witness, is that people will go to 
there, Doctor, and uh, it won't be long these days before a discussion around a biologic drug comes into the, into the fray. And when I was diagnosed 11 years ago, the biologic drugs were considered to be a last resort and something that, well, if you've failed everything else, then that's the direction that we need to look at for you. Um, whereas now it seems like how can we kind of fast track you onto these things? And uh, there's definitely been a shift that I've observed. So you, having been diagnosed, you know, more recently than me, have you witnessed this yourself? Like how quickly did it happen before doctors were talking about Enbrel or Humira or something similar? I was within two years. Okay. I had started to slowly fail everything. I had also tried Epremolast, which is uh... – well, I don't know what that is, uh, mm-hmm. the generic name, but um, it's for psoriasis primarily, uh, which I've never had, just the arthritis portion of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, even prior to any medications, I had no energy. This The arthritis just seemed to suck the life out of you. Mm-hmm. I used to drive around at work with ice packs in my steel toe shoes so that I would ease the pain in my ankles. And then when I had to go on site, I would take the ice packs out and start walking around. I couldn't really climb ladders. Oh, it was awful. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So within a couple of years, doctors were talking about Enbrel. What were the drugs that you were on prior to that? And how were they in terms of their effectiveness and the side effects that you got from those? I was on oral methotrexate and I lost 30 to 40% of my hair. It's now grown back. Um, I have all these little growth hairs. Um, It looks beautiful now. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Um, I was on prednisone Mm -hmm. and prednisone bumped me up from, I think, about 179 to 197 pounds. Right. I now weigh 165. Right. It's an interesting point about prednisone that I never kind of dwell on um, that does, you know, play a role, which is the weight gain. And the reason that I never kind of talk much about it is because that I think that even on prednisone, if you're following our program, you still manage your weight quite effectively. So if you're eating a Western-style, high-fat, animal-based sort of diet with the prednisone, then yes, the uh, the weight did you have the puffy face and that sort of appearance happening as well? Mm, I wasn't on it enough, but it sure right. made me hungry. I was power eating. <laughs> yeah. Hungry, okay, yeah, yeah, right, and uh, hungry for everything, right? Like hungry, hungry, just hungry for sweets. Okay, um, I would eat meat and then I would just be craving sweets. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't get out of the kitchen. And then in order to stop eating sweets, I would eat cookies and things that were less sweet to try and stop the craving. And yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. All right. So how did you get off that? Because we talk a lot about getting off that inside our support group. How did you get off it? Because that was before you and I started to communicate. How did I get off of prednisone? Yep. I just stopped taking it because I looked at my room a rheumatologist. And I said, I cannot be on this drug forever. And he said, well, you can, it's just going to be a short forever. You're not going to live as long as other people. What? That was how he answered that question, that comment? Something to that effect. Yes. And so I said, I'd like to stop. And that's when he started considering other medications. So that's when we went off the oral 
methotrexate and we went on to the apremolast. And then apremolast uh, didn't work for more than about nine months. And then, then I went on to the injectable methotrexate. And actually, no, then it was the Enbrel. Yeah, it was an Enbrel, uh, something similar to Enbrel. We call it Brenzis here. So, okay. right. and I was only on that for a month. So. So it would seem that you would be categorized by your rheumatologist as someone who does not respond well to medical treatment. Is that the feedback you've been receiving from your rheumatologist, that your body doesn't do well on the medications? Not really, no. He, his desire was to have me live pain-free. And so Brenzis, a.k.a. Enbrel, was what he wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, just to make me comfortable. Okay. Because he knew I, I, I wasn't enjoying prednisone and the hair loss and the nausea that was associated with uh, the other medications that I was taking. Right. So a lot of this sort of medication ramping was due to your complaints or your dissatisfaction with the earlier drugs in the sequence. Correct. Okay. Correct. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I now, I, I did speak with um, a therapist. Um, because I was in such pain that I needed to somehow manage my stress. And this therapist said to me, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could one day get off drugs and do this through diet alone? And I looked at her like she was an alien. And I said, no, no, this is permanent. And I thought, wow, I don't know if I'm going to see her again. She's a wacko. Wow, that's crazy. You said that to her. But this is how ingrained it is to just be on medication. You, You get sick, you take a drug you don't think about controlling things through diet. Mm. So, and, and I can, I talk to a lot of our people suffering from arthritis and they go, Oh no, I need to be on these drugs forever now. And you go, well, okay then. Mm. Yeah. That's it's a closed book attitude. There's no going there. Um, so I'm interested to how you manage then to hear that from one of the uh, medical assistants uh, person that you mentioned, and then thinking that she's a wacko, and first of all, whether or not you've seen her again and told her now how you are. And just tell us about then how you started to make the transition across from that attitude and that belief system to, to sort of adopting my whole world. Um, I was so sick. Mm. Uh, I was at the bottom. I, I couldn't go any further down except being in a wheelchair. And there were, I, I was getting to points in life where I was debating, do I really want to mm. carry it? Like it got that far down and I wasn't actually suicidal, but I was sort of going, this is, this can't keep going on. So I just somehow found you on the internet and your stories about the the cherries mm. was something I really could relate to because I had gotten sick and I wasn't eating for about five days and I realized, oh, my pain's really gone down. So that's what sold me. And so I carried on. I have seen the therapist since then. Because the trauma of having been that sick is still something that uh, haunts me and I have to deal with it. Because how can you get so sick? (laughs) And by that you mean that uh, you still are psychologically affected by how dark the place was that you got to and how bad the pain was, that it's still a very tender memory. Yes, yes. Right, totally. And may never go away completely, almost like a really horrible 
traumatic experience as a child that I fortunately managed to avoid. I didn't have, but I know that people who have traumatic experiences when their children often carry them for life. And although they dissipate, um, they still, you know, play a little bit of a role. So I know that when I think about, you know, the dark days and when you mentioned, you know, just previously about, you know, not quite feeling suicidal, but wondering where is this going and how can I live like this? Yeah, that, that, that feels very familiar territory to me too, because whilst, you know, these days, you know, life is different. There was a very long period for me where life was absolutely awful, like just horrific. And, um, you know, it was just agonizing month after month, which turned into year after year. And the methotrexate for me only shaved about 50% of the pain off. Uh, that got ramped from 10 milligram to 25 milligram. And then I was still in agony. And so many of my dietary changes were on 25 milligram of methotrexate and weren't effective because I was just stabbing in the dark like nine, ten, eight or nine years ago trying to work out what to eat. And the littlest things that we know and appreciate, like having flaxseed in smoothies or avocados in smoothies or olive oil on salads, I discovered myself. And it was over a long period of time that these things presented themselves as problems that I thought were okay. And so, you know, there was, uh, you know, what seemed like an eternity, which was over several years of agonizing levels of pain for me, and then more moderate levels of pain, and then lower levels of pain, and then really small levels of pain. And so, but the pain it was immense for a very long period of time. So yeah, um, it's enough to make me never ever want to consider eating the way that I used to ever again. Such Absolutely. such was the stick that I was hit with. The uh, the deterrent was is so massive that people say to me, "Don't you want to one day have like a steak?" Or what about you know just just have a piece of 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 birthday cake or something. And like I might have a nibble of a vegan birthday cake for my children, but even that I don't sit and have a piece of cake. And it's um, it's not paranoia; it's being realistic. This condition can be reignited, and we don't want to do that. It's not like I'm immune from the immune process. It's like we have decisions each day, micro decisions throughout every day, as to how we're going to. Uh, interact with our environment. And for me, that's going to be lots of exercise, the right foods, the right attitude, and um, and and that should get always, hopefully, the right result. So so I appreciate that uh, that dark place. And I'm sure a lot of people listening or, or watching this can appreciate that you some days it just gets you so low that, uh, yeah, you do you do question a lot of things. So it's good that we're able to openly discuss that. Yep. Yep. I find the diet or the meal plan that I'm currently on, it mitigates the cravings, the sugar, the sweets. I still have to be very careful with fruit. I don't eat a lot of fruit. Mm -hmm. I'm careful with avocados. I don't mm -hmm. eat flax seeds, mm -hmm. but I just don't crave that stuff. Right. 
and meat I don't crave at all. In fact, the smell is offensive. In fact, even when I was eating meat, the smell was offensive because I regulate abattoirs. So I have to go through the abattoirs. What? That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Let me share a story. Sorry. I, like, this is fascinating. So I grew up on a on a cattle farm. Okay. Now we ate a lot of the pets or animals. I called them pets when I was little, but uh, our animals on the farm and that's normal. All the other farmers are in the area. Everyone we knew, you didn't have to buy meat from the butcher because you had excess supply on the farm. So when we were growing up, I was became desensitized to the concept and the procedure of slaughtering animals. And I, my sister and I used to play games where when the meat was hanging up, we would dare each other to touch ver- various organs that were being eviscerated from the carcass. And, you know, it was, um, it was then a whole new level for me to then attend an abattoir because I, as I said, had become familiar with it. But I remember the smell as we approached the abattoir from around about 500 meters away, I started to smell inside the vehicle that we were approaching in. My dad and I, and I dad's, I said, oh, that stinks. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's the abattoir smell, right? Anyway, it was so repulsive that I couldn't go in the building. And now my dad's, at that age as a teenager where your father says, come on, be a man, you know, come inside, you know, that's, you can handle this. And I couldn't. I couldn't go in and I was no kind of weak attitude or weak. I just found the smell just so horrible, something between and a poor attempt at sanitization with blood and fear all mixed together in the most intense cocktail of horror. So how do you do that? How do you go through these abattoirs? Yeah. Yeah, I I do, but I know that I can go home and I can eat a salad. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, and I never have to put that stuff in my mouth again. Yep. And I had actually seen a naturopath and she said, you're a fast oxidizer. You need animal protein at every meal. I was so inflamed. Yeah, it was awful. My, my ankles looked like they had been sprained and I would see physiotherapists and they said, how do you sprain your ankles so frequently and to such an extent? And at one point I asked my medical doctor, I said, can you just cut my foot off? Wow. Just cut it, cut the thing open or cut it off. It hurts so much. That's some really good incentive to never <laughs> eat sweets. But I think because my gut has healed and the bacteria has changed, they no longer crave that sweets stuff. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, you know, shame on that naturopath. If there's a naturopath listening to this, or you know a naturopath, if you're listening to this, who recommends meat products as some benefit for some ailment that you have never practice again or never see that naturopath again i mean there is no health condition other than you're about to die because you haven't eaten in five days that calls upon animal products to fix it there is none not one so shame on that naturopath um i would also say even rheumatologists don't really know how to treat rheumatoid and psoriatic arthritis because they don't provide the option to cleanse your body with a proper diet. But I would argue that the first rheumatologist who starts 
promoting diet and not drugs is going to be taken out by big pharma. We had a couple in Toronto, they were pharmacists, they had generic brands, and they were quietly murdered in their home, and that was about four months ago. What? So I'm argue, I would guess that if rheumatologists started saying, oh, don't take Enbro, um, they would just quietly die in their sleep and their family would disappear. Um, big pharma is huge. Mm. It's huge. And so, of course, these, these drugs keep coming out, and with every one, they get more expensive. My Brenzis cost $450 per injection. I had to take four injections a month. It's unaffordable. I mean, that's just, you know, ridiculous levels of cost, 2000 bucks a month just so that you can have the drug that you'll be dependent on for the rest of your life that has potential side effects that you need to, you know, watch your levels of infections and, and uh, the fatigue levels that you mentioned earlier. So, yeah. yeah. Nah. So I um, totally agree with the size of the big pharma and the potential retaliation of too much loss of profits if they were to, to observe that. And people have said to me in the past, have you, do you watch your back and, uh, and so forth because of the sort of work that I do? But look, I'm not anti-drugs. I am maximum health. And you are the perfect example of this. We don't need to debate about whether or not it's drugs or diet or and let's not even say diet it's not just diet it's also exercise and it's mindset stress reduction it's supplementation so there's a whole bunch of things that the natural side of things can offer it's the full picture and medications is just one of the tools in our toolkit okay now if we do all the other things in the toolkit use all the other tools and then our inflammation levels low enough then we don't need the drugs but if we do all the things in the toolkit that we have and those tools don't enable us to have enough pain reduction, then sure, let's look at a medication, starting with the most, the lightest and the most, you know, non-intrusive medication with the least side effects. And that's how I would, you know, approach this. Um, if I was a rheumatologist, I'd say, well, get all your stuff that you can influence right, all the natural stuff. And then come back to me if we still need to just, you know, handle a little bit of inflammation that's left with a medication. And that's an effective strategy. And with that strategy, you can then heal your gut whilst you're on one of the drugs that doesn't have a counterproductive effect on the gut. And then later, as the uh, blood markers are consistently low and your symptoms are consistently low, then you can taper down off the medications until symptoms start to show a little bit. And there you just don't lower anymore at that point. So, you know, for me, it's pretty, for me, the formula is very clear and simple. And I've sort of come to this view about a year and a half ago or something like that. And I've enjoyed that perspective and I haven't seen a hole in it yet. And that's the perspective and that's the approach that I'm putting in my book, which I hope will end up on rheumatology shelves around the world and that they are able to recommend it to patients. And at first, I think what's going to more happen, they get given it by their patients and then they can uh, read and understand. The book's going to be written or is being written in a way that isn't judgmental about the medical system or about the patient approach. It's just here are the, here's the situation and this is the way that I think we can improve upon things without anyone getting there and getting upset or being slighted. Let's just take a 
take a look at what we should do rather than how it's all broken. So now I want to ask you a question. You've been a, a wonderful member of our support group and you've inspired other people with your uh, updates and so on. And one thing that you were struggling with that I'd like to talk about is that you've got a foot problem. And for a while there, we had to make a decision as to whether or not the foot was related to the inflammation. Now let's talk about how we've got to be careful when we're looking at our overall symptoms, not to misinterpret what some of our symptoms are. So can you talk about that, please? Yes. Um, I had uh, both feet were actually sore at one point and in part of the, the as the psoriatic arthritis started and progressed, I assumed that they were part and parcel of it. And so when I first saw the rheumatologist, he injected steroids into the both both feet and the pain went away and then uh, the pain returned. And then even on Enbril, the the so-called wonder drug, I remember saying to my rheumatologist repeatedly, but my foot still hurts. It hurts quite a lot because there were quite a few uh, appointments with him while I was on on the Enbril. And um, he said, uh, well, it's probably gone now. The joint is all swollen and it's probably, um, that's it. That's it for that joint and it's seized up. And I thought, oh, okay, well, well, let's have a moment of silence for this poor toe. And I, I carried on. And um, what I ended up doing was I saw a podiatrist and he said, you have pas cava, which means I have extremely high arches and the heel of my foot is lower than my toes. And so I have to um, arch my feet more than regular people. And so I end up getting hammer toes. And so they're all kind of bent up like that. And they scrape on the top of my shoe and that's creating the pain. So now I have the new orthotics and I walk pain-free. The, the foot is still a little bit sore. This swelling on the left foot, which the doctor said is it's permanent damage, is gone. And it used to almost be sort of red and a little bit purple in color. So I believe the arthritis was in there, but it's now gone. Mm. It's just a regular foot and you can see the structures, the tendons and, and whatnot, and you couldn't before. So the arthritis is gone. Uh, unfortunately, the the condition called Paz Cava is still there and it needs to be supported with um, orthotics. And But it's manageable. I can play a round of golf and uh, be mm. painful. It's also helping me walk better so that um, various hip flexors and psoas muscles are not as sore either, which can also easily be interpreted as, oh, that's your psoriatic arthritis. So it seemed to me like every little ache and pain was, oh, well, that's your psoriatic arthritis. Well, uh, uh, just keep asking questions. Just take it a little further. And if you're on Enbril or whatever and it's still hurting, go see another specialist. I had seen three other podiatrists and they had said, one had said it's Morton's neuroma. Another one had said it was complex regional pain syndrome, which is another hideous thing. Yeah. Keep going for it. Yeah. Thank you. Very, very good points. And the, the, the general message here is that we all have these unique additional pains that are going on in our body that may not be related to the disease that we're treating with the medications or that we're thinking is the arthritis. And 
the misinterpretation has massive consequences. So you and I were liaising on this and we were saying, look, you know, you were talking about, should I stay on this medication or not? And I said, we've got to find out about this foot because it was the only non-responder. Everything else was, was dropping your inflammation levels after going on the program. We see all of this stuff dropping away. Everything's feeling better, but your feet still hurt. And that's why we have to say, well, let's consider that it could be something else. And as it turns out, it was something else in addition to the arthritis, but the arthritis went down, the inflammation went down, and then you were left with the structural issue, which you were able to resolve. And that could have been a decision. If you had not investigated further on that foot situation and found the exact cause, you know, we wouldn't be having this discussion today because the interpretation may have been that it's the sciatic arthritis or RA and that the medication's required and so on. And who knows how many years that would have gone on. So, yeah, it's, um, it's an important uh, distinction. When I had a cortisone injection in my knee and I had my swelling removed from that injection, that was because it was the only non-responder in my body at the time. Now, for whatever reason, my uh, baker's cyst at the back of the knee and the swelling at the top of the kneecap, it just seemed to be in a caught loop. It just never seemed to, to resolve itself. The one cortisone injection cleared that and I never had to have another one again. And that was it for the knee. I'd just been rehabbing it ever since. But the point of this is that as soon as the swelling was removed from the knee, I discovered that a lot of the pain in that knee was because of the very weak and brittle and pathetic connective tissue. And so the whole time I assumed that it was inflammation, inflammation. A lot of it was because of weak connective tissue. And so then I rebuilt that weak connective tissue with Bikram yoga and endless gym sessions very, very carefully. But yeah, I had a misinterpretation of what was going on in that knee as well. And I see it a lot with people with shoulder pain. They will say, my shoulders have arthritis, inflammation, synovitis in the shoulders. And I say, have you had anyone look at your back muscles and the way that your uh, spines aligned and so on? And so often we see that shoulder problems are related to the shoulder blade area and the tissues all around the shoulder blade, which just refer pain into the shoulder. And that one can be a miraculous fix in no time with just some good, you know, a good chiropractor, some good massage therapy. It's remarkable, the shoulder one. So your foot is another example. So thank you. I want people to really understand that not every pain we have necessarily is attributed to the autoimmune condition. Yeah. And, and people like me who are, um, I've been heavy into sports. I asked the foot doctor, I said, why now? And he goes, sorry, you probably your age. I'm 56 this year. So, um, uh, the foot's done me well. I've abused it. I've rammed it into, you know, pointy, nice little tiny shoes for work. I've torqued on ski boots so I could bang down, you know, black diamond runs. And so now the foot is going, uh, give me a break. I need a break now. The nice thing it does for me is when I feel the pain and I remember the pain, I go, I'm on the right path. I will never go back to the meat. And so it's something that keeps me, keeps me on track. Mm. So, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Pain's a great motivator. 
So let's talk about as we sort of move towards sort of a conclusion. Um, and before we do, I want to talk with you about maybe some um, some tips or some encouragement, some insights that you've garnered over this last sort of four or five months. And is there some parting insights that you'd like to share for others who haven't yet got the results you have or are maybe thinking about trying this? Well, uh, the first thing I had to do was unlearn the the message that big pharma gives you. Drugs, drugs, drugs. You have a problem, drugs. Unlearn Western medicine. And if what do you have to lose? What do you have to lose by trying an alternative method? And that was for me, I was I had nothing left to lose. Uh, and so I went, you know, this is the right price. I'm not going to lose my shirt on this program. So try it, uh, try it. And I stuck to it like glue. And every time I had more pain than I, I thought I should have, I just went right back to basics. And, and that, that really, that really helped. So, and to, to continue on again, just go back to the basics if you've been feeling really good and you've added something and then you've added something else and you maybe you've overadded, go back to the basics. It's all in your fact sheet. Yep. That's all the information is there. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and that's exactly what I did too. The number of times I had to get back to basics, back to baseline is, you know, endless, endless times. You know, I started, started on, you know, like, what seemed like an eternity just on basics. And then I added foods and then uh, something not right back to basics. And then I expanded a bit more, something not right back to basics. And that process just went on for a very long time. And what you'll find is that your baseline foods can evolve too. So a reset for you might not be back to the true baseline foods in our program, but it might, it might be back to those plus some basmati rice and potatoes, or it might be back to that plus a couple of other things that you're absolutely sure about. Okay. So your baseline can be more advanced too. So everything shifts forward. Um, So I used to reset for a long period of time back to potato curries, which would be basmati rice, potatoes with a turmeric based kind of curry powder with onions. So it was a very hearty, meal that I just really enjoyed. And that I found at a later stage gave me exactly the same level of pain reversal as what the quinoa buckwheat with green, with uh, seaweed or whatever uh, used to. So, you know, things change all the time and you become more and more desensitized. Yeah. Um, You were also a huge inspiration for this program. And I remember reading something or watching one of your DVDs where, uh, you said you ate bags of spinach at your wedding yeah. because there was no other food available and you ate spinach for like weeks. And I went, if this guy can eat spinach and green leafy <laughs> vegetables for a week, I can do this. So that was very inspirational to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, there was nothing more important and I would have eaten dog food. I would have done whatever it took and did do it every take because I can't stand Bikram yoga. Like I just cannot stand it. But I went every day, almost every day for a year, bar a few things where I just had to not be able to go for work reasons or something. And, you know, I would just loathe 
getting into the car and driving there and every step up to the class, I'm just swearing under my breath as I'm limping in and hating every posture that people who have normal bodies find challenging and me in my agony and lack of energy with my fatigue and methotrexate and then get back in the car and drive it just to get enough pain relief to get me through to get there again the next day. I mean, miserable. And, um, yeah, and so when I think back of what it sucked the most, it was the feeling of the necessity of having to do that heavy exercise with very little energy, um, more so actually than the than the baby spinach. I actually really like baby spinach, and I can still just sit there and munch on a bag of that stuff. I don't know why. My body just seems to be in synergy with the taste and the effect of baby spinach. I just... I, I really like it. So I'm glad that that was beneficial and gave you a little bit of a, um, you know, if he can do that, then I can do this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. The hot yoga, actually, uh, I'm on board with you. It's it's so hot. <laughs> and I don't, I don't like it either. But I found I got such energy from it. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed going because it made me feel like a powerhouse. And so... That is something that really kicked up my energy. So if anybody is out there going, oh, my God, I don't want to go, you will get a lot of energy. I actually stopped going because I was having difficulty sleeping. Really? So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Bikram so, says yoga is the gas station. You know, he says that's where we come and we get our energy. And I could never really understand that. In more recent times when I've been, I've felt more energized from class, still sleep like a log at night, but have felt that what I think he is trying to refer to. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably be going to Bikram for the rest of my life, but just not as frequently as I have been. Yep. So that's what I do. That's exactly what I do. I'll have days where my knee doesn't feel right. You know, something I just, you know, body just not as happy as it normally is. And so I'll go and do a Bikram yoga class and it feels for me like a reset like the physical equivalent of doing like a baseline of the foods, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, that, this is the beauty of this, right? This is like, this is where you feel that, ah, oh, like beautiful moment. You know, now the tools, we, we have the right foods to fall back on when we need to, to get the inflammation down. And we have the right exercise to fall back on when we want to get the inflammation down And we therefore have these two beautiful safety nets as we walk the tightrope through life of having a very delicate autoimmune system. We're walking the tightrope and if we feel out of balance and we begin to fall, we fall into a net and then we can get back up onto the the tightrope and resume our very, very balancing walk through life with a delicate autoimmune situation. And so we've got our two nets and they, they give us great feeling of, of comfort and security knowing that they're there. Awesome. All right. Well, is there, do you think there's anything we've missed? Is there anything that you feel that uh, we should uh, cover before we, before we wrap up? Um, I, I do just, uh, I just remembered a very severe moment back in November. I had fluid drained from my knees. And I was on the methotrexate and the sulfazalazine, and I had gone cycling for a week. It was bike to work week. And on the following week, about uh, Tuesday, my knees started to seize up, and I made an emergency appointment, and he drained 
this awful fluid from my knee into a urine container and filled each urine container halfway with fluid from my knees. Then he injected the steroids in the knee and he said, no knee should have this much fluid in it. And so you should have seen my knees. Well, they looked a lot like yours. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now uh, nothing even close, nothing even close to that. It's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I do find some of the ligaments were probably really stretched. So I'm going to uh, do a bunch of strength training exercises yep. to tighten it up. So, yeah. Yep. And these kind of maintenance level responsibilities are going to remain. So you'll find that this is a little delicate, little something needs a tweak there, and you're always going to have this sideline job for the rest of your life of keeping everything under control. And getting the knees right is a good investment because we know how important the knees are. Bikram says you can mess with the gods, but you can't mess with your knees. Uh, yes. There's no room to play. Uh, we got to get them perfect. So yes, do that. And you, inside our support forum there, you'll find that video on how to reverse uh, knee problems. And so go through and make all the notes about uh, that. And then you can uh, go away and do those. The, the foundation of that video is about strengthening and stretching. So we've got those two responsibilities. We have to strengthen all of the connective tissues and we have to then stretch them too so that we continue to have range of motion. So with those two things, then, uh, you know, we have good quality uh, joints. So thank you so much for sharing your story today. I appreciate it. And I also appreciate you, uh, you know, being part of our uh, support group where we uh, exchange ideas and we learn from each other. And uh, I wanted to bring you on here and ex- and share your uh, experience with a greater audience so that more people can, can learn and uh, be inspired. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for creating the program. Life-changing. Thank you. You've been listening to the Pattison Program. For more information, visit pattisonprogram.com.